0: Get in the know, nonstop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on ScoreNorth and ScoreNorth.com. Football. The Rock knows how you feel yeah. about pie.
1: Welcome in to another historical pie chart episode of Purple Daily here. It's Phil, it's Judd, and uh, we're attempting to basically use this podcast as a time capsule too. And put so the, the pie chart of praise and the pie chart of blame are kind of our official stamp on games. We do it every Monday after Vikings uh, games on Sundays. And so here, let's go back historically and put our official pie chart stamp on games in Vikings history, seasons in Vikings history, maybe moments or trades. The Rock
0: knows how you feel about pie. A lot of pie charts.
1: Yes. A lot like of pie charts. Sling and on here. By the way, you can find. On our YouTube channel, you can find everything we do on Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com, and the app. But also, we catalog all of our historical content, like these pie charts, in um, in a playlist on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. So you can find these in the, uh, I think it's called, the is it called the Vault or Purple Daily Rewind? You'll see it on the uh, the Purple Daily homepage. But I am the chef for this episode. A pie chart of praise for one of the great regular seasons in Vikings history. Kind of a surprise magic carpet ride. The 2017-13 win season that culminated, I guess, in the Minneapolis miracle because everything after that was uh, kind of down. The uh, Rock
2: uh, how you feel about pie. It crashed in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, it crashed in the tailgate sure. lots for Vikings fans. It crashed on the field for the team. And they had a chance to play a home Super Bowl, but it it wasn't meant to be. But So we've done a pie chart of blame for, like, the game that they lost at the end. That's available somewhere. Uh, But I have for you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven slices pie chart of praise for just the success of that season. Okay. And if you look through, like, they started that season. So Sam Bradford was the starting quarterback going in, if people remember. And and I actually I will I will talk about him in the pie chart, but they lose him after the first game. They wind up kind of just like the first month of the season. They win their first game against New Orleans then they lose with with Keenum playing against the Steelers. They come back. They beat the Buccaneers. They lose to the Lions. It was kind of a back and forth thing. And Bradford tried to give it a go again at Chicago. And it was like you watched him. He could barely move. It wasn't safe really for him to be out there. He was curled up in the fetal position a couple times, just kind of ducking for cover. And you're like, well, this is probably the end of the Sam Bradford era. And at that time, I think most of us were kind of thinking about, boy, like Bridgewater's leg is in question and Bradford's knee clearly is chronic. You know, I guess Keenum's going to start for now, but we were thinking about the draft and possible quarterbacks and whatnot, but they go on and they win eight consecutive games from week five all the way through week 13. They did not lose a game from the beginning of October all the way until the middle of December, Mm -hmm. and they wind up finishing 13-3 and with the best defense in the NFL. They go on to beat the Saints at home in the playoffs, the Minneapolis Miracle, and then get smoked in Philadelphia 38-7 to in the NFC Championship game, but just like one of the more unique, fun-winning seasons in Vikings history.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that stands out among the um, among the biggest things now in retrospect is and we talked about this at the time but it just became so clear is how much mike zimmer didn't trust case keenum despite what was going on which was yeah. case keenum was having this marvelous pop-up year, um could not have done more uh but mike had this whole thing throughout the course of that year where he would go to you know and Uh, go to his press conference, post-game press conferences, and say things like, well, he's got a horseshoe up his behind and things like that. And and I don't know that Mike, the defense was really good, and that was his pride and joy, so he definitely enjoyed that. But I don't know that he ever truly appreciated or enjoyed offensively just what that, that team did. I also think, in retrospect, that that is one of the greatest seasons for an offensive coordinator with this franchise I have ever seen. Pat Shermer was phenomenal. Like for all that that we question play calling and through the years have seen uh, some very questionable moves made. Shermer pushed almost every right button and and that of course got him the next season the head coaching job with the Giants, which did not go well. Uh, but there were some there are some really savvy coaching and there were some guys who had definitely years where it was difficult to replicate it, but. The other thing is, and this reminds me a little bit of what's transpiring in the 2023 season, was it was unexpected success. So it was just so much fun to watch. Because once Bradford got hurt, you didn't say to yourself, oh, Case Keenum's going to come in. You're like, Case Keenum, he's a career backup. What's going to happen here? And then to your point, in week two, you got drilled in Pittsburgh. And so you're like, they're absolutely screwed. Uh, But as as this thing took off and became special, the unexpected success became, I think, the most fun because it was uh, it was Great. not a season like 2018 then, when Kirk Cousins signed as a free agent, and you're like, oh, this team, this team's got a chance for a Super Bowl. So yeah. that made that year a lot of fun, despite the fact that I still don't think that the head coach really liked the quarterback that he was uh, that that he was uh, forced to trust.
1: I'm trying to remember when we looked at that team as something other than like, oh, this is kind of fun. Oh, they're they're winning some games. When we looked at them as a team that could really potentially do some damage and I'd have to kind of lay out the rest of the, like, I I forget which team, like they smoked the Bengals at home in week 15, for instance, but Mm -hmm. I don't, the Bengals were, were kind of a nondescript team at the time. Yeah. I think probably when they, they rolled into Lambeau field week 16, and I guess Brett Humley was the starting quarterback there. Maybe, you know what, it, it, it might have been, like, the first real warning shot was probably when they beat the Packers at home to go to 4-2, because that was mm-hmm. the game where Anthony Barr hit Aaron Rodgers right and knocked him out with the collarbone. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, you know, a handful of games into... Case Keenum starting. They did the false start thing in Chicago the week before where Bradford tried to give it a go. It was very clear after that game, going into the Green Bay game at home. Case Keenum's the starting quarterback. What can this team do? And they wind up beating the Packers, but then they went back into Lambeau Field. Brett Hundley was the quarterback at the time uh, toward the end of December, and they shut the Packers out 16 to nothing. And before that game, they ho- they held the Bengals to seven. Two games before that, they held the Falcons and Matt Ryan to nine points, and they held a pretty good. I think that was the year that Sean McVay took over the Rams. I'm just looking here. Yeah, that was Sean Mc- yep. the Sean McVay Rams. That was a really good Rams team, like J- on the ascend.
2: Jared Goff was totally flustered.
1: Yep, and totally they totally beat- flustered. Twenty four to seven, they beat that Rams team. So you could see, like in November and December, you're like.
2: God, this this defense. These
1: are single digit performances by this yep. defense, and yeah, they had four single digit performances, including a shutout in the last two months. They held the Bears to ten points in Week 17, and so you kind of you kind of felt like this defense is for real. Um, you mentioned Pat Shermer, and then I'll get to my pie chart. Mm-hmm. Just a fun quick aside here. He's only 58 years old. Feels like he's older and he's been around longer. Do you know what, so we're recording this in 2023. Do you know what he's
2: doing right now? Yes, he he was just promoted to the OC for Deion Sanders' Colorado yes. Buffaloes after they blew out their OC because the OC always takes the fall.
1: It's hilarious. So Pat Shermer rocking the uh, Colorado Buffaloes offensive coordinator job. So, all right, let's start with uh, slice number one of
0: The Rock knows how you feel about pie. The
1: pie chart of historical praise here for the 2017 Vikings. I'm going to give 2% to Sam Bradford because his performance in week one against the Saints was the best quarterback performance of the season for the Vikings. He went 27 of 32 in that game, 84% completion, almost 400 yards in the air, three touchdowns, no interceptions legitimately one of the great performances in vikings history like a one game quarterback performance and but the knee was was you know he's already sort of eroding and he came out of that game with a lot of knee pain and turned out to be that was the last full game he would ever play as a viking 27 of 32 for 400 yards three touchdowns no picks one and oh beat the saints and sort of set the tone for the season
2: as i recall too we didn't even know that that he was hurt it sort of came out of Nowhere, I think it yeah. was the next. I think it was the next uh, Wednesday when the injury report was listed. He popped up on it, and we're like, well, "What happened?" And so it was this thing that came on quickly, as far as what the public found out. Uh, but yeah, if I, and I also believe that Saints game was a Monday night game, it was a prime time game, and that was an impressive performance. And and coming out of the Saints game, you actually had a lot of confidence because obviously they had acquired uh bradford at the 11th hour of the previous year to replace teddy when teddy broke his leg and so now it's like oh and the off season before 17 i think is when zimmer flew down to bradford's hometown and like they went out to dinner and mike was trying to cultivate a relationship believe it or not with a quarterback and so that performance you're like oh this is clicking. It's great. Yeah.
1: Zimmer's and got his guy. Yep. Zimmer.
2: Yeah. He's, he's fallen in love again. You know, Teddy is Teddy can't play. And now it's going to be Bradford. And um, I always thought I always hypothesized that. I wonder if Mike was sort of pissed off that he had put that much time into a, another quarterback who let, let him down and basically said from then on, I'm done with quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. I don't want to get too close. I don't want to get yeah. hurt. Again. I've tried
2: this before, so I don't like case and I ain't going to like the guy they're going to sign. Yeah. Either in Kirk Cousins.
1: Yeah, so Sam, so Sam Bradford comes in, lights it up, first week of the season, sets the tone, all right, he's got weapons, he's using them, so he's going to get 2%. I don't want him to be the forgotten man for that 2017 season. Okay. 8% slice of pie to New Orleans Saints defender Marcus Williams. Because oh, sure. if Marcus had not inexplicably dove at the feet of, of Stefan Diggs, yeah, on that Minneapolis miracle play. I don't think that season is remembered nearly as fondly. Obviously, like they still win thirteen games, but they they just get bounced in their first playoff game, and it's another, I and mean, we wound up still being a disappointment. But you know, for the for that play to sort of stamp that season, it be it, it become it, you put it on the shelf in Vikings history as opposed to oh, they just well. Boy, they blew a 20-point lead. Stephon Diggs caught a pass, got shoved out of bounds by Marcus Williams, and they tried to kick a long field goal and missed or something, right? The meltdown. Which is what should have happened.
2: And the meltdown by the Vikings in the second half of that game after dominating the first half was a huge story. Mm -hmm. And Breeze came back and was absolutely fantastic. Um, But, yes, that is one of the most inexplicable plays. I don't care if the guy was in his 15th year or – a rookie it's one of the most inexplicable plays i have seen um ever and what would have been interesting is as i recall if marcus williams had made the tackle okay we also would would have talked about how can you not design a play to get out of bounds quicker yeah because you know it it was kind of out of bounds but not but he could have kept him in the field of play yeah. With a tackle, as I recall. And the funniest thing was in retrospect, after that play and at the after that, that game, the talk was that a lot of guys were like, you gotta get out of bounds. And then they realized the guy had fallen, and there was nothing between Stefan Diggs yes. and the end zone.
1: This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday, as Phil and Judd join me to
0: discuss the latest sports headlines. And whatever else comes to mind.
1: Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom. And it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Dude, I remember because you were at the game and because you were covering it. At the time, we were it was fifteen hundred ESPN radio, and we were you and I were doing a four hour radio show together. But I was hosting Vikings Vent Line on the radio at the time mm-hmm. with the superstar Mike Morris, former Vikings long snapper, and we were set to go live. You know, we're like right when the game ends, we're about to fire it and go live. And I think we wound up actually firing it as Diggs was running into the end zone, and so you kind of caught us celebrating. But we both said the same thing: he catches it. We're both yelling, "Get out of bounds! Get out of bounds!" and as you're yelling it you're like oh my god nothing there because you on the tv you can't see like you thought there was maybe Mm -hmm. a defender back there or something like what is he doing they're gonna run out of time but if he so they were down by one with 14 seconds left it was a second and 10 from the vikings 39 yard line and Keenum threw a short pass to Jarek McKinnon that was incomplete, which I think if he completes it, I think they, they might have been screwed. I can't remember if they had a timeout left there. They did not have a timeout left because otherwise Diggs would have probably just, I think we wouldn't have been yelling it out of bounds if they had a timeout left. Right. And so now there's 10 seconds left. It's third and 10. Again, they're at the Vikings 39. Blair Walsh was still the kicker. Or it was Kai Forbath, actually. Kai Forbath because he, he nailed a he 53 needed... yarder a minute earlier. Yep. 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 But his range, like 53 was kind of the edge of his range. So you you really had to get like 25 yards on a completion to give him a shot. And uh all they had to do was sort of either just they could have tackled him or they could have like shoved him backwards out of bounds and the clock would have rolled. But anyways, uh if Marcus Williams doesn't Make a dumb play, then that play does not happen. So, yes, 8%. It, it's well
2: earned. Yes, very well earned.
1: I'm going to give 10% to Adam Thielen. For, that was the time period where he had sort of emerged as one of the top 10 wide receivers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, he wound up at, at that time. I think people looked at Stefan Diggs and said, Boy, at some point he's going to be a star. But Adam Thielen was the real number one receiver on that team. So it's funny. Now Diggs missed a couple games. So Thielen played sixteen games. Diggs played fourteen. Um so there's a little bit of a just discrepancy in terms of counting stats because of that. But Thielen wound up with fifty more targets that season and 25, 30 more catches than Diggs did. So it was really it was Thielen and then Diggs throughout the regular season as the pecking order. But Thielen winds up with ninety one catches for almost thirteen hundred yards, a handful of touchdowns, and uh became more of a household name around
2: NFL fan circles that year. So 10% to Thielen. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and as I recall too, in the loss that you brought up in December against the Panthers in Carolina, didn't Thielen have a very close touchdown catch nullified by replay? Oh, that, that would have made a difference in that game. I think he did. So like, yeah, he, he had, at that point in time, he was really really good. And that's that's the, you know, that's the younger Thielen. He wasn't hurt yet at all. He wasn't slowed yet at all. He was really damn good. He was
1: very spry. Yep. Yes, he was.
2: Yep. And he so
1: he gets 10%, but I'm actually giving 15% to Diggs even though Diggs didn't have the numbers in the regular season. Uh he did have double the touchdowns. He he really emerged as a red zone threat big time for the Vikings. But when you complete Potentially the greatest, most memorable play in the history of Vikings football. Yes. You get an extra 5% here. So 15% to Stefan Diggs.
2: Okay. 15% to Diggs. All right. So we got
1: three slices left here, and then we can dissect this more. I might have left somebody out here, but I'm going to give 15% also to general manager Rick Spielman. He's fast forward four years later and he's kind of on the way out. He's much maligned for not being able to find a franchise quarterback and, you know, whiffing on some drafts. But man, if you look at that roster and Mike Zimmer had a say in some of these, like obviously the defensive players, Mike Zimmer's I want Anthony bar or I want so-and-so. Right. But Rick Spielman was the head of the roster construction for a team with the best defense in the NFL. Harrison Smith. These are draft picks, by the way. Harrison Smith, mm-hmm. Everson Griffin, Anderson Deho. Was he a drafted player that they pick him up from somebody else? They like might think have picked him up. Okay. But, I'll find it. But, but yeah, they thought like him. Anderson Deho was excellent on that team. He's, he's Daniil crazy. Hunter was a mid-round pick. Yep. Anthony Harris was a late-round pick, or was he
2: undrafted, or like a seventh-round pick? And he made an absolutely key play in that Saints game in the second half.
1: Yeah. Um, Xavier Rhodes, obviously one of the best cornerbacks Mm -hmm. in the NFL around that time period. Eric Kendricks. Trey Waynes was a rock-solid starting cornerback. Anthony Barr. So just like up and down. And even the free agent signings like Linval Joseph was an excellent piece to that defense. Mm -hmm. And then offensive side of the ball, Stefan Diggs. You know, to go out swing a trade for Sam Bradford, he was really, really good. To to make sure Case Keenum is the backup quarterback, That's, I mean, just
2: that was super impressive, actually. Yeah,
1: roster construction of of Rick Spielman putting that team together was kind of his
2: his best work, I would say. Yeah, and so p- part of the um defensive guys that you just went through, part of them were Zimmer type draft picks like Mike. Mike had a hand, and I think Linval Joseph might have been the first free agent, the big first big free agent that the Vikings signed with Mike. Uh, but when you're talking about Harrison Smith, Griffin, that group, that was Rick, yeah, and Frazier to a certain degree. But I'm, I mean, that was so there, there were some, there was a basis of a defense and Rhodes, too. I Rhodes was actually drafted what in Frazier, I think it was before Frazier's last season. But the point was, Rick put in some really, really good draft choices that Mike developed, mm-hmm. uh, but that, but they were not on Mike's watch. So, yeah, Rick does get. That that front office, at that point in time, did a good job. And here's the fun question. So, Teddy got hurt, freak thing, that's too bad. But what happens if Bradford doesn't get hurt, too? Because then do you've they, got your quarterback go for a
1: while. Yeah.
2: Because well, he, he was 29. And then Kirk never comes here. Mm-hmm. Like, Kirk was sort of the... The fact that Kirk didn't work with Mike became a big deal, and that was a, at least part of... Rick Spielman's downfall right but the Bradford trade for it for all it gets ripped now I still contend it was a must trade it was
1: and Bradford too he gets kind of a bad rap he's because he was stuck with a really bad Rams franchise at the time for several years he also had chronic knee problems and you know just he didn't have the best infrastructure as a player or just physically because of his knees but that dude could sling it and Oh, God, Pe- yeah. People that play like our guy Booney played with him the year before. Like yep, those guys. Jeremiah Cyrils was on these teams too. They rave about Sam Bradford, just how smart he was, how diligent he was, just accuracy, everything. Mm-hmm. So it, there is like an alternate universe where what would what would because they traded for him to your point, they gave up a first round pick. It wasn't like oh one year thing. I think they wanted it to be a five year solution. Yeah, and and they knew his knees were kind of rickety, but. There's an alternate universe where it would have been really interesting to see Sam Bradford, healthy, age 29, 30, 31, all the way through like 2018, 19, 20. Does it look different or is it would Kirk have been kind of the same guy? You know, they were kind of in the same category of maybe good, not great quarterbacks, pocket passer guys that aren't that mobile would have been interesting to see.
2: I think it would have helped that Mike seemed to like Sam more which I know sounds stupid, yeah. but that, that became a, that became a problem. So I think it would have helped that Mike was, I think at peace with Bradford being his Q- QB and Bradford. Well, I'm sure I don't recall his exact contract when they made the trade with Philadelphia, but while he was paid, well, it was nowhere near what Mike had no interest in doing with Kirk. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the problem with Mike and Kirk was the day that Kirk stepped in the building to sign Mike was ticked off because he thought the contract was ridiculous so, yeah, I think there's an alternate universe in which Sam Bradford would have made things much more cohesive between the coaching staff and the front office. And and certainly was a good enough quarterback that he could have won games consistently.
1: Yep. Also, just on the Rick Spielman front before we get to the next slice of pie, just some other names on the offensive side guys that I'm, I'm just looking at the PFF grades for the season from that 2017 Vikings team. The number one graded player on offense was blocking tight end, uh, David Morgan, who was a sixth round pick by Rick Spielman. Interesting. He was, he was just a great run blocking tight end. Mm -hmm. You also had in the, in the top handful of players, you had Jarek McKinnon was one of the highest graded players. That was what a third round pick and he wound up, like, catching 50 passes to that year. Yes. You had Mike Remmers as just a a rock-solid offensive lineman, free agent signing came in, and then Latavius Murray as the backup wound up being the full-time starter when Dalvin Cook got hurt. Depth Roster building.
2: Right. And and the run game actually functioned without – Cook was drafted in the second round in – Seventeen to be the guy to replace Peterson, and he got hurt in what the third or fourth game against Detroit. Here, tore his ACL for the first time, and yeah, Murray stepped in and was great. And McKinnon, who has emerged again with Kansas City, had speed and and he was a nice player. Not you know not great at the time, but a nice. But they basically held together a run game that lost the absolute key component within the first quarter of that season. So there was some impressive coaching and certainly some impressive moves made. Yeah. No question. All right.
1: Slice number six here, six of seven.
0: The rock Mm -hmm. knows how you feel about pie.
1: We're going to give 20% to case Keenum. Mm -hmm. Now I think he was the ultimate example of if you build a good enough car, there's a lot of quarterbacks that can sit in a car. I mean, we're seeing it right now as we record this, it's now, maybe something train wrecks and what I'm about to say might be laughable. But as we sit here, Josh Dobbs has two wins as a Vikings quarterback and he's just sitting in a car with now the car is going to get better with Justin Jefferson, et cetera. But man, you had Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, the running backs we talked about. Kyle Rudolph was a good pass catching tight end. Offensive line was fairly solid. At least the defense is the best in the NFL. Just go out there, go score 20 points and don't crash it. And, you know, Case, he had had a couple decent seasons with Denver and Washington. He wasn't a total train wreck with Denver and Washington, but he never really came close to replicating anything near his productivity in 2017 with the Vikings. Right. And he drove the hell out of that car. And sometimes he took it over the speed limit and he uh, veered over into the wrong lane. But, you know, for whatever reason, didn't get punished too badly until the
2: last game of the season. And despite the fact that Zim didn't seem to embrace him, it didn't seem to bother Case, which which was his personality was absolutely perfect. He was sort of a laid back surfer type of dude. Um, it and and I think the thing is, I think some people, some quarterbacks pro- probably would have taken it personally and felt an insecurity, and he didn't. So it worked perfectly. And basically, Shermer did such a good job that it always felt like in that case that Mike fretted about what might go wrong with Case, but for the most part, the defense was just so damn good yeah. that he took solace in that. Uh, and I always felt like the the offense and the Keenum-Shermer relationship carried things. And so there was not this... It could have turned frosty, and certainly uh, Keenum could have become insecure about his status. I never remember seeing that. And if I'm correct on on this, Mike trusted Case or he thought it was luck so much that he never on Wednesdays, which is the traditional day, the quarterback talks. If you recall, he never allowed him to go to the podium. It -hmm. was always in the locker room. Like case was any other player, Mm -hmm. Um, which was, again, it might've become a luck thing, but it's just, it's just like some people, some QBs would definitely take that personally and bristle and Keenum Never did. And, like, you could ask Case about, hey, Mike just said you got a horseshoe up your behind. And he'd be like, well, that's what Mike says. And it it was a very – it felt like it was a very on-point type of team where they didn't allow or they didn't have a lot of other distractions and things, which, of course, would come later.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, just a fun fact about Case Keenum. So he went to the University of Houston from 2007 through 2011. And he still, to this day... So he threw for 5,000 yards in three different seasons for the University of Houston. That dude's college numbers are insane. Mm -hmm. To this day, Case Keenum is still the all-time leading yardage passer in college football history. He threw for 19,217 yards. Timmy Chang is second on that list, the quarterback from Hawaii, like in the early
0: 2000s. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) But Keenum... Keenum had, I'm just going to give you some of these touchdown interception numbers. He th- he threw the ball 700 times in 2009 mm-hmm. for 5,671 yards, 44 touchdowns, and 15 interceptions. Just slinging it, man,
2: all over the lot. Wide open. Wide open. And if I'm not, if I am correct, um, it, as you, you said, Phil, we're recording this in um, in 2023. Case Keenum now the backup with the Houston Texans. Yeah, behind Stroud. And, at, and is the exactly and is a mentor for Stroud. So, yeah, good for yeah. him.
1: Great. And then that brings me to the final slice of pie here. No, no, pie. Try to praise. Pie. 2017 Vikings. Mike Zimmer. This was Mike Zimmer's masterpiece. That dude was probably what fifty eight, fifty nine, like late fifties at the time let mm-hmm. close to 60 years old had been in football for over two thirds of his life and the 2017 and de, and defense was his life's interest. And that 2017 Vikings team was one of the best defenses in franchise history. It was the best scoring defense in the NFL, 15 points per game allowed. And I just looked it up to, uh, seven games of 10 points allowed or fewer. Mm-hmm it was that that was the 2017 defense was essentially the pinnacle of his life's work it was his masterpiece he conquered the nfl for one season defensively and then they go in philadelphia chance <laughs> to go to the super bowl play home super bowl yep. and uh, his life's work it was like the sprinklers came on uh when the painting was on the wall or something but but you got to give Mike Zimmer 30% because he came in, took over the worst defense in the NFL when Leslie Frazier was fired. 2014, 15, 16, he ramps this thing up. And uh, they never could quite match what they did in 2017 defensively or as an overall team. But it was, I think he would say that that was the, the year of football that he's probably the most proud of, unless he wants to go back to like being a position coach with a Cowboys team in the mid 90s. I, I think he would point to 2017.
2: I agree completely. Yeah. He, he was uh 61 at the time. And it was also the perfect um uh, confluence at, at that point in time where I feel like quarterback play was extremely important and it has been for a long period of time, but it's become, I think the last five years or so where the rules are e- even tighter where defenses, I mean, Xavier Rhodes probably got away with a lot of things that I don't know that that he, he would now, and it started to catch up to him as time progressed as well, right? And so it was sort of like the perfect timing, and the window, if you look at that team, the window with what they did, um, and they did have to to overcome adversity and some obstacles, was really open probably 2016, 17, and 18 in a big way. Mm-hmm. And 17's the year that things also went right, despite the fact that Sam got hurt, and it looked like things... Michael off the tracks they certainly did not and 17 though was like the year where you said okay things are going right and I think what was probably especially frustrating to them was they went into Philadelphia and Keenum hits Rudolph for a touchdown and they take that lead and you're like oh my god this might be for real and then of course just got curb stomped after that but yeah that would that was the year I think where a lot came together and I think another thing was because Pat Shermer was so good, you know? He was a
1: great coordinator. He was fantastic,
2: mm-hmm. and and after that, because it, it was Pat that replaced Norv Turner when Norv quit, and then Pat got the Giants job, and DiFilippo, who was the quarterback's coach for that Eagles team, got the Vikings OC job, didn't even survive 2018, and we started to sort of cycle through things, didn't go as well. But, yeah, he had Mike... I th- I would say after 2017, Mike had to be considered easily a top 10 coach in the entire league, yeah. and he might have been higher than that. Yeah.
1: You know, Pat Shermer, too, real quick. Now, who knows? He might just wind up, you know, he just maybe wasn't head coaching material at the end of the day. Yeah. But he's a classic example of be a little careful with the head coaching jobs you choose because – like, he chose the... And, of course, you're offered your first head coaching job, 2011. He's 46 years old. You're going to say yes, but the Browns in 2011, no yeah. chance. Yeah. And then he takes that Giants job in 2018, and I believe that was, like, the very end of the Eli Manning. Eli was just... i like, couldn't move anywhere. And then they draft Daniel Jones for that 2019 season. Coach killer. So... I always I'm curious to see because I think Pat Shermer was a leader. Clearly he's a great communicator and a play caller and everything. You know, if, if he had taken a different job with a more established quarterback, would he have been a better head coach? But yeah, he'd probably never get another shot because he's over
2: two at this point. Right. And I don't remember him being the, the one thing that would be a difference because he was a great football mind. The difference between him and a guy like O'Connell was I don't remember him being boisterous. And like like O'Connell loves to talk and he's great in front of yep. the team and he can own a room. Guys like Shermer didn't. And I'm not saying that's the be all end all, but it is important. Yeah. The other thing that we didn't bring up though, that was sort of the beginning of the end and caused some problems for that team in particular was to go back to that late season game in Green Bay that you talked about. If you remember, that's the game where Nick Easton who was a guard, a starting guard and that offensive line was pretty good, pretty stout. Uh he broke, I think he cracked his ankle in that game. And the Vikings and I'll never understand this. The Vikings sort of freaked out and they moved remmers from right tackle where he was serviceable to like left guard where he was just a train wreck and I don't yeah. I remember asking, he had never played left guard in his life. And so they moved the components of that line around. And I never understood why they moved so much around. And Easter was a pretty good player, like not a household name or something, but he was a pretty athletic player um, and could do what they needed done consistently. And if you recall, that got to be really dicey as well. So that, that was a problem. And I always felt that the Vikings exasperated the problem by actually taking a guy who was, again, a serviceable right tackle, no more, and basically throwing him at guard and setting him up to fail. So
1: yeah, there's just there's so many what ifs throughout all the Vikings history, but that time period right there where they man, it's it's really hard to build defenses that are that good. I think is another two where it's like, okay, how do you follow oh, this up? And yes. they followed it up, they said we're gonna make a big splash. You and I were all on board, go get Kirk, and they wind up missing the playoffs. But it's also hard. Once you build the best defense, it's not like finding a franchise quarterback. Okay, we found Patrick Mahomes. That guarantees your offense is going to be either the best in the NFL or top 10 for like 15 years. Defense, you're trying to get 11 guys all in a system and all healthy together, and it's like it's hard to corral it for more than like a year or two. And once 2018 turned to 2019, it's like the the defense was going to naturally erode and they kind of missed their window. But that 2017 season was one of the more fun ones in our lifetimes, watching the Vikings. So here's the pie chart. This is it. This is going down in history here because we've done it. Historical pie chart.
2: It's in that time capsule. Bury it. Dig it up later.
1: 30% to Mike Zimmer for his life's work, his masterpiece. 20% to Case Keenum. 15% to the roster building of Rick Spielman, 15% to the wizardry of Stefan Diggs, scoring the most famous play in Vikings history, 10% to Adam Thielen, 8% to Saints defender Marcus Williams for melting down, and 2% to Sam Slingin' Sam Bradford.
0: The Rock knows how you feel about pie.
2: There it is. Very, uh, very fair. The one thing about that season that I will say is I, I think that was one of the most fun seasons to cover and watch too, because despite being embarrassed in the uh conference championship game, that season was the definition of unexpected success. Like 98, the loss was crushing to the Falcons because you're like, yeah. this team is going to the Super Bowl and all season long has done nothing but kick ass. Um 2009 right Brett Favre so again great team and you're like this team has such an opportunity here in retrospect there was definitely an opportunity missed in 17 but I think when you have a backup quarterback and and I I know that you can make the comparison that Cunningham who came in in 97 and then took over for an injured Brad Johnson similarly after Brad got hurt in game one in 98 but Randall Cunningham was a known commodity right like he was Mm -hmm. a known name and it's sort sort of like oh he's got it back now Case Keenum was an unknown yeah and so I always thought that was fun uh, because of that
1: we saw some of Case in Houston and it wasn't pretty it was kind of the with Cunningham it was like oh dude this is one of the best quarterbacks in the league like seven years ago
2: yeah yep. so So. I always thought that that the season that we just recapped was a lot of fun Um, despite the Horrific loss because one, it it was unexpected success. And two, as bad as the meltdown in the second half against the Saints was, the ending was almost worth it to get that ending. Yep.
1: Yep. Hey, if you guys have other ideas for topics, games, moments, trades, plays, whatever it is that you think we should slap a historical. Pie chart of blame or praise on the Rock
0: it. knows how you feel about pie and
1: Vikings history. Let us know. Purple Daily is Daily Vikings Entertainment, where we just want the Vikings to win a Super Bowl before we die.